Welcome, Radio World, to the first ever episode of Soberholic Radio with your host, Roger Bowes and Jason Rice. How you doing today, Jason? Good. Trying to figure out what I'm going to eat for dinner. My mm. wife's out of town, so kind of fending for myself tonight. Ramen noodles. <laughs> yes. Ramen yes. noodles and beanie weenies. Yeah. And a microwave pizza. I hear you, man. Maybe you can go by Little Caesars get one of them $5 pizzas. I think they're even going up. Are they even five dollars anymore? I think some of them are like six or seven dollars now. Like they make the crust thicker, so you can yeah. pay an extra dollar. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, before we get to started with today's show, Jason, could you tell the audience a little bit about why we decided to start our podcast together? Well, I think it was birthed out of just me and you talking a lot, and just ultimately that we want to give people hope who are struggling with addictions and hurts and habits and hang-ups. But also we wanted to help those who are not struggling with addictions to understand what an addiction is like. And as as Christians in recovery, uh, particularly using the 12 steps, I, I feel like the 12 steps in the Christian world get a really bad rap um, because they're associated with these other 12-step fellowships. But Originally, the 12 steps, you know, all the principles in them come from the Bible. Uh, and a lot of people are not, are not aware of that. Um, and, you know, and that's why you see people who are working secular 12-step programs, That why you see some of them have success. Because whenever you exercise biblical principles in your life, you're going to get good results. And so, you know, I think it's ultimately we wanted to start this podcast to give people hope and to, to, to share with people that there is recovery and there is freedom and healing in Jesus Christ. Amen. Who would have ever thought we were hope dealers instead of dope dealers today? <laughs> You know, that's a long ways from where I used to be, but we've got an amazing show lined up for you today, and we'll be going to be dealing with the topic of denial. And we do know that denial is more than just a river in Egypt, right? <laughs> that's the same joke you hear at every single rehab. Or every lesson I've heard in CR, they they give that one line or their first lesson they yeah. teach. But, you know, denial is the, is the very reason a lot of us in recovery stay in our struggle, especially with addiction, all the way to death. You know, the the definition of denial is the refusal to acknowledge or accept what is true. That's crazy. Think about that. Denial is the refusal to acknowledge or accept what is true. Do you believe that is could be a good thing, Jason? Generally, no, but for the sake of sanity sometimes, I think it can be necessary. Um Back when I was younger, I was really into rock climbing and uh, often employed the use of denial just to survive. Um, A lot of times, you know, when you're 40 feet up on a rock face, you need to tell yourself that you can't fall. Just bouncing is not an option. You can't (laughs) fall. And uh, I was in a few situations where I had to tell myself there was no falling and that it was just not possible for me to do. And it served me well, because uh, once you get up there and you start panicking, uh, it's it's no good. Another way um, to be transparent uh, that I used denial, sometimes with my bank account. <laughs> um, my, my wife would kill me if she knew that I'd go days without looking at my bank account. But sometimes I do just, you know, I just don't want to think about it because uh, there, there might not be a lot in there. So if I just don't look at it, then it's just it's, the problem's not there at all. 
just ignore the issue, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, for me, when I was really thinking about this, is, or when you were talking, I can remember back when I was a teenager, or, or around 12 or so, somewhere around there, my grandfather passed away, and he and I was really close. I remember going to the funeral. I remember seeing him in his casket. But I remember a few days after that, I called his house asking for him on the phone because I wanted to speak with him. I was truly just in denial and not willing to accept what was true in my life, that he was passed and no longer with me. And so that was my way of just ignoring the trauma in my life or or coping with the trauma maybe um, would be the better way of saying that. But I do believe that um, today we can talk about five different types of denial. The first type of denial that I, I wanted to talk about was rationalizing. And that's kind of just when we make up excuses or we give ourselves a, a good reason of why we want to do what we do. And with with addiction for me, especially in drug addiction, I always found it that it was okay for me to begin to use or or to use, not really begin, but to use on the weekends because I had put in a hard week's work. Weekend warrior. That's it. That's <laughs> it. And so I, I, every weekend, that's what I would do. You know, I, I would go get drunk or high, and and it was worth it because I had worked hard. It was time to relax, and I made it okay and. For many years, another way that I would rationalize it was, you know, I paid my bills. I never was into stealing or anything like that in the beginning of my drug use. Mm-hmm. I can't say that for the end <laughs> of the drug use, but the beginning of it, I was I was hardworking, I was dependable, and I would do my job. And so because I worked hard, I deserved, you know, a night out, a weekend out. And that was my way of just saying I can handle it. This time, it, it's going to be okay. And the second type of denial is blaming. Uh, This is where you shift your focus or attention onto another situation or another person, so you're not taking responsibility. You know, it's the whole, you know, you're, you're the reason I am the way I am, or you drink too if you had a wife like mine. Uh, one of the r- ways that I use this the most was jobs. I was a huge job hopper. Um, I, I wouldn't even, if I had to count how many jobs I had, I mean, we'd be here all night because uh, I was always looking for the next next one because I thought that was my problem and that was why I was, you know, always using and drinking and stuff is because I just didn't have the right job. If I had this job and I made this type of money, well, then I wouldn't need to drink or use anymore. But uh, that was just an excuse and a form of denial. Another one was relationships, you know, man, you know, if I just had, you know, this type of woman in my life or, you know, if 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 my mom would just get off my back about this, well, then then I would be able to quit using and drinking. And then another big one was the police and the court system. You know, if they would just leave me alone, you know, then I would I would be able to quit all this. But uh, if you knew me, then I probably blamed you for something is how bad I got. The police wasn't after you because of the hoopty you were driving, right? <laughs> it wasn't like you had a mark on your car or anything, right? I actually I had a Volkswagen Eurovan. I had a Volkswagen van, and I had long, curly hair. And I'd get pulled over, and I'd always be like, why are they pulling me over? They're always picking on me. Profiling. Yeah. 
Well, you know, one thing I hear from you is that this podcast may get you in a lot of trouble with your wife. You, you've Maybe. already admitted yeah. that you have an issue with looking at your bank account. <laughs> yeah. And if you had a wife like, if I had a wife like you do, I would be drinking right now is what you're telling me. <laughs> so this does not look good for you. So this may be the first and last podcast that we do together. Well, there's this third type of denial we're going to be talking about, and it's minimizing. It's where we discount the seriousness of our addictions. And when we just say it's not really that big a deal, I, I know um, when I when I first went to rehab, this was back in my teenage years. Uh, I went in because I, I needed to get the monkey off my back, or really it was it was the law at that time. Mm-hmm. I needed to get off my back, and my my parents had something to do with that too. You know, is I had to make them happy. Mm-hmm. So I made my way in there, and I was smoking pot, and I was doing a little bit of cocaine at that point in my life, but it was all. Um, I, w- I was there, you know, more so to please the, the courts and my parents. And I heard a lot of other people there talk about, you know, the heroin they were doing or crack they were doing or prescription pills they were doing. And I had not done any of that. So I was like, you know, those people really need to be here. You know, they're <laughs> yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not doing all that stuff. And so I would say my stuff's really not that bad. And later in life, I found myself realizing that I'd just not done those things yet. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it all came to where I began using, you know, through a syringe and everything else that I said I never would. Mm-hmm. The yets came to get me. But even now in recovery, it's been a few years since I've actually used drugs or alcohol. I find myself uh, struggling with weight. I went into rehab for the first time at 126 pounds. And, you know, I thought I looked good, man. Every woman would want me. I had a six-pack. Man, it wasn't a six-pack. I was dying. There was nothing. There was skin and bones. I was starving. And so I I look at it now. I'm 236 pounds, and I'm not extremely overweight, right? But um, I know that I am overweight, and I I see that I want to get better, but I, I minimize my my weight by saying, well, it's not that bad. You know, it, it could be worse. I know people who are bigger than me. I don't have any weight, you know, health issues that, that has burdened me yet, other than maybe the high cl- cholesterol. Yeah. But, you know, I blame that on my dad. Right. He gave that to me. <laughs> and so, I, yes, I definitely said that I've minimized my way through, through my addictions. The fourth form of denial is anger and hostility. I used to use this one all the time, and I would, you know, people would, in the beginning of my addiction, when I was starting to show the first signs, you know, I had different friends and everything come to me and be like, hey, you know, we notice, you know, some things going on here. And I used, you know, anger as a way to push them away. I'd be like, who are you to tell me how to live? You know, I didn't give you permission to just talk to me like this. I'm just driving my hippie van. Yeah, I'm just driving my hippie van everywhere. (laughs) And so, I mean, I used a lot of that, a lot of anger and hostility towards some of my close friends uh, who were trying to help me the best they knew how. And I would just push them away. Um, And then my anger got really out of control for a long time. Uh, to the point where um, I actually invented a term for this. It's called anger holes, uh, where you punch a hole in the wall or kick a hole in the door or whatever. And I'd have to go, I'd get a couple pieces of sheetrock just to have on hand for whenever I would punch a hole in the wall. 
And that just seems crazy and insane to me now, but I, I'm pretty good at patching patching a sheetrock hole. I'm sure that you were justified, though, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, it was all their fault. Oh, yeah, it was their fault. And, you know, as my addiction progressed, you know, I always wanted people just to get off my back and to leave me alone. Well, eventually they did, and I had nobody. Right. And how sad that is, because I always thought the same things you did. And a lot of my friends in recovery kind of have that same mentality of just leave me alone. And I, and I always thought that I wasn't really hurting you. If I was hurting you, just d- d- mind your own business. Yeah. And now, as a parent myself, I look back at how just immature that type of thinking was because— you just don't turn off your love for someone. Right. And But that's what I really expected them to do for me is just, you know, if you don't like it, then don't worry about it. Yeah. And most of my anger was really directed at my family, who was trying to help me more than anybody. And I thought the same thing like you. I'm only hurting myself, you know. But now I see how I was just a tornado through their life. Right. Yeah. I, I my dad, one time, he was trying to get me to go to one of the mini rehabs that I was talking about earlier. And he was really trying to get me to go to rehab, and and I kind of had the same idea. I w- was only hurting myself, and he was forcing me to go to rehab. I hated it, and so we ended up in the floor when I had him in a chokehold, wow. you know, like trying to. And my uncle had to kick me in the chest to get me off yeah. of him, and just the insanity that went in with with that type of of thinking. But it really, you know, it brings me to my fifth point that talks about the self-delusion. I just never really realized how bad my addiction had gotten. Mm. It was really just chaos. If you were around me, you experienced drama in one form or fashion. And I brought you into the insanity that I had. One of the ways that I was delusional in my thinking was that I just believed I could quit whenever I wanted to quit. Mm. And, you know, even that time me and my father got into an argument— you know, I told him I could quit, which I had told him that hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of times before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll quit. You know, I will. <laughs> and that I told myself that thinking that and believing that. But I really believe in the back of my head I knew that I couldn't quit, but I was too scared to tell someone else that I couldn't quit. And so I just continued to believe that lie in my head that maybe this time's going to be different. And it just never was. So in recovery, we find ourselves that denial can be so strong and so rooted within our our thinking and our behavior that we run off the very people that we love so that we can continue to use or justify why we use. Or maybe it's those other things that we were talking about, the food or the gambling, whatever that is, we, we deny it so much that we run off the people who can help us or love us the most mm-hmm. so that we can continue to numb our, our pain with whatever we're chasing. And so I've seen people who has actually tried to go and change locations or jobs, like you said mm-hmm. earlier, a bunch of different oh, jobs. Yeah. But um, we, we try these different ways of curing our our struggle, our addiction, and we find that it just doesn't work because regardless of where we go or, or who we're with, really the, my issues, and, and I guess you would probably say your issues, it really centered between our ears. Yeah. And no matter where I went, there I was, mm-hmm. right? So with someone struggling with addiction, whether it be food, drugs, or a sexual issue, gambling, we've got to be willing to accept the truth. And pain is a great motivator, and it helps us to begin seeing clearly again, seeing the truth again, and seeing and to acknowledge what is what is true and accept that. 
But there's got to be a solution, right? The solution is a relationship with Jesus Christ, ultimately. Um, there is hope and healing that can be found in Jesus. But I'm not so bright, so I need the whole thing kind of spelled out for me. So that's why I prefer the 12 Steps, and that's the only thing that's ever really worked for me. I tried a whole bunch of other things that we don't have time to even get into right now. (laughs) But uh, working the 12 Steps uh, with Jesus Christ as my higher power is the only way that I've found uh, lasting and meaningful sobriety. Um, there were other times in my life where, you know, I could string together some time, but I was miserable. And I'm not saying that, you know, I don't still have times where I get down and I get depressed and I have difficult situations that I go through, but now I have a healthy coping, coping mechanism, you know, uh, where denial is a terrible coping mechanism. Now I have a healthy way to cope with my feelings and emotions and pain and my struggles where I didn't before. So now I have accountability partner. I have a sponsor in Celebrate Recovery where I work 12 steps. And it's just so much better now um, having a 12-step program that's rooted in Jesus Christ. And I You know, we're not here today saying that there's only one way to get sober. There's many ways to get sober, but there's only one way uh, to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And those are great words, Jason, because we're not anti-AA or any other uh, recovery method, but we do stand by that if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for freedom that matters in this life and the next, then Christ is the only way to do that. And that's the reason we believe so much in a Christian 12-step program. And currently, the one that we take part of is called Celebrate Recovery. So you'll probably hear us talk more about that than any other recovery method. And so today, if you've enjoyed our show, we hope uh, that you would like and share us on Facebook or Instagram or any other social media outlet. But the most important thing that you can do is reach out and find help mm. if you're struggling with some sort of hurt, habit, or hang-up. Yeah. You know, that's our goal for this whole show is that you can find hope in the midst of a really dark, dark time. And I've been there. Jason's been there. Mm. And we've known countless other people who have found freedom uh, working through these 12 steps and finding uh, who they are and what they are in Christ. And, and one of the ways you can do that is contacting a Celebrate Recovery. You can go to CelebrateRecovery.com. You can click on the group locator link there in the top of the page and type in your state, zip code, or city, and it'll get the closest one to you. If, you, um, if you've liked our show or would like to talk to us, you can contact us at SoberholicRadio at gmail.com. Again, that's SoberholicRadio at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your comments or ideas about future shows. And so with those things said, you know, I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing off. <laughs>